1: You're listening in, and hopefully today you'll be a caller because there's a lot to talk about out there in the lawn and landscape. Our phone number is 979-845-5689, 979-845-5689, or by email gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Email is helpful when there is something for me to identify. Uh, you know, like what there is this thingy, growth thingy, on such and such, and I can't picture that in my head. So when you send a photo, uh, I'm able to zoom in and take a look. Speaking of zooming in, when you send photos, attach them to the email as attachments. That's the little paperclip thing you click on, as opposed to embed them in the text. So when they're in the text, I it's I have to go through a process to be able to get to them and and zoom in. It's better if you would just uh, attach them to the email, and that'll be really helpful. I can't tell you how many times someone described something. We had a phone conversation on it and went all through it, and then finally I say, send me a picture. And when I see the picture, it's like nothing like I was picturing in the conversation, and that's just the way things go. A picture's worth a thousand words, they say, right? Well, again, garden success at TAMU.EDU. If you would like to send a picture or ask a question that way, we, you know, the the elephant in the room when it comes to gardening and horticulture and lawns and landscapes, trees, all that kind of stuff here in really all over Texas, but mostly I'm talking about here in the Bryan-College Station area, is that it's hot and dry, and it's been hot and dry, and if you look at the forecast going forward, there's a little bit of hope of a break. Um, I guess I'm, uh, <laughs> I've am i been going through this hot and dry so long that I'll believe it when I get there, right? Uh, I want to really believe that it is going to cool off a little bit. The hot and dry has taken a toll. And even if tomorrow... A cold front came in, and we went to 90 degrees during the day, or 91 during the day, okay? And then at nighttime, uh, let's say 74 or 2 or something. That's wonderful weather for most plants. I mean, they they can live with that. They'd prefer to be in the 80s, probably, most things. But uh, even if that happened, we have done damage to our landscapes. In fact, it wasn't we that did the damage. It is the... Um, the weather that it has and uh, i'm writing an article for texas gardener right now uh, and uh, looking at uh, just kind of a uh, what is the what has the weather done almost like a crime scene investigation so it'd be CSI uh, and then coming up with charges uh, to <laughs> uh, assess against the weather for the things that it's done with both heat and drought uh, because it, it is essentially a crime scene slaughter out there <laughs> in landscapes if you if you are not watering your flower beds and trees and lawn uh, it looks pretty bleak and for some things it just flat like kills them outright uh, areas of lawns that are St. Augustine uh, are, are just flat dead in a lot of yards that I drive by. And uh, St. Augustine lives on top of the ground. It's runner. It, it doesn't have underground stolons it just, or rhizomes. It just has the above-ground stolons, the runners. And so when it dies, when you see a brown runner and a brown leaf and everything on the grass, it's dead. It doesn't have something underground to bounce back from. Zoysia can and uh, usually does, and and uh, Bermuda grass does as well. That's why uh, it sneaks underground like a submarine and pops up in your flower beds, uh, which is not any fun at all to deal with. But it makes it more of a survivor. Uh, that that it can dry the top and uh, still have some moist rhizomes underground that can send up shoots and, and keep going. But when the lawns turn completely brown, they're, they're gone. Now, if the lawns get stressed, they're going to be opened up to certain problems that we deal with. And one of those is take all root rot. Take all root rot is a fungus. And as the name implies, it, it takes it all. Now, you know, we have gray leaf spot that uh, puts spots all over the leaves. In fact, so many that sometimes the leaves shrivel up and turn brown. But that didn't kill the grass. It just sends out new leaves. We have large patch, which uh, used to be called, we used to refer to it as brown patch. That's the name pretty much everybody still uses uh, when they call in with questions. Uh, But large patch, or used to be called brown patch, makes the big circles. And all the leaves are rotted off the runner, but the runners remain green. And when the weather warms up, it comes back as a turf. So uh, I, I could keep giving examples of diseases, but the bottom line is, Take all root rot kills the grass and it kills the areas that, that it's dealing with when it gets the upper hand and stress is how it gets the upper hand. I'm gonna pause just a moment in this and we're gonna to go to the phones and talk to Mike. Hello, Mike.
2: Hello, Skip, how are you doing?
1: Well, I'm doing well today. I'm inside and it's in an air conditioned room. How are you? Yeah.
2: Me too. Same same way. But I your comments about the weather are really appropriate and um over the last two summers, we've we pretty much lost all our Saint Augustine grass. We have patches here and there, and patches. And I've worked hard this year to kind of keep the grass growing mm-hmm. where we have patches and where we can go. But I really focused on the Bermuda grass, and I think I'm going to get rid of all the Saint Augustine once I get a good stand of Bermuda. I'm just going to go. I mean, I'm going to go to Bermuda and get rid of the Saint Augustine because I think this weather and the drought is going to be with us for a few years to come, and the and the Bermuda will survive it, but yes. uh, San Augustine, San Augustine won't. So, well, is that drastic? <laughs>
1: uh, well, it's I understand. Let me throw a few more considerations on one side or the other of the scale as you're trying to decide which way to go. Uh, Bermuda grass is very tough, and it takes foot traffic way better than St. Augustine. You've never seen a St. Augustine football field. Um, And and, uh, so that's an advantage to it uh it also tends to harbor chiggers and if i don't know i remember from childhood rolling around in the grass and oh my gosh you know here you come inside and you just got all these things biting on you uh st augustine doesn't really do that much i haven't had that problem yeah. but uh, that's another thing so if you got little kids that are out there playing in it that would be a factor Bermuda grass needs to be mowed low and often uh, if you let it get real tall and you go to an infrequent mowing schedule it looks horrible uh, it doesn't develop the density that most people want in their yard. And the the analogy that I think works uh, is think of a forest of pine trees. When you walk through the forest, everything under there is brown. They're green way up on top where there's light, but all the branches are dead and the, everything's brown underneath. And so if you were to mow those pine trees off halfway high, what would you have? A whole bunch of brown sticks. And that's how it is when you let Bermuda get tall, and then you cut it back. You're cutting off most of the leaf area, and it'll regreen, unlike a pine right. tree, unlike a pine right. tree. But um, so you have to mow regularly and keep a density to it, and it's better to mow it at a you know about an inch and a half or, or so, depending on the kind of Bermuda you plant. Uh, so those right. are just a few factors. But also remember that no matter what the grass is, if you want to look good, you got to water it. That's, right. That's Im-
2: Well, uh, another question is: Okay, you have Bermuda and you have Saint Augustine, and they get about the same amount of water and sunshine. Mm-hmm. Won't the Saint Augustine eventually crowd out the Bermuda if it if it's given good conditions to grow in?
1: I find that it goes back and forth. If it go if you move into shade, Saint Augustine has the upper hand. If you mow high, <laughs> Saint Augustine has a little bit of an upper hand, but it's not going to kill the Bermuda out. Uh, if you mow, uh, you know, down low and tight, uh, St. Augustine can't deal with a inch and a half mowing height or something like Bermuda can, okay. uh, and so it gives it the upper hand, and uh, if you got a blend, I think you're pretty much going to always have a blend unless you go in with some sort of a, a weed killer and be very careful to get it only on the Bermuda and kind of try to work your way out of it, but that's going to be a long-term, maybe not 100% successful process.
2: Okay. Well, I got one more question for you. All right. Uh I have a, a big live oak tree in the back of our yard, really nice multi truck live oak that's planted about 15 years ago. Uh, last fall, I think I found one one acorn off that tree underneath it. And okay. So in 15 years, we've had maybe one acorn that I've found. And okay. That, that seems really odd because I've never seen a live oak tree that just didn't have. Usually, every other year, tons of acorns.
1: Yeah, there and, there uh, is a cycle with them. I don't know why that would be. Um, if the live oak came up from a acorn, then it goes through a number of years in a juvenile stage, and that's, that would be true of the pecan that came up from a pecan. It's incapable mm-hmm. of producing uh, the offspring, if you will, the, the seeds, uh, the nuts or the acorns. And, and then it, it hits a point where that the plant becomes mature, and then it is capable of blooming mm. and setting fruits or nuts or whatever. And uh, maybe that live oak was just in that process for a good while. I don't know how long it takes with live oaks. I know with pecans, it can be, you know, seven years or 10 years, maybe a little more in some cases, uh, probably not more. But I'm not an expert on that specific point. But I do know that 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 could be part of what's happening with your, your livo. Well This is
2: a, yeah, it's probably 15 years old and 40 feet tall.
1: So it's a, wow. it's a
2: very healthy tree. So it's just, it's a, a anomaly. I don't, I don't understand. But anyway, that but is unusual. You
1: your, yeah, that is yeah. unusual.
2: Well, thank you for your show. I appreciate it. Talk well, to you later.
1: I appreciate the call. Thank you very much, Mike. Okay. Our phone number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689. So I was talking about grass, and grass that's stressed opens the door uh, to a number of things. When plants get stressed, a lot of things that they naturally could fight off or deal with suddenly get an upper hand. Uh, When grass gets stressed, take all root rot is the the worst thing that, that can happen to it, and it often does. Uh it could be stressed from compaction. It could be stressed from lack of sun. It could be stressed from drought, for sure. It could be stressed from certain herbicides that kill weeds but weaken the grass. It's almost a chemotherapy where the patient survives and you get rid of the thing you're trying to get rid of. Uh, And when people misuse those herbicides, then we get into some real problems. If they use them as directed, not so much. But uh, misusing them may mean spraying when it's 95 degrees outside. They're not gonna do well with that, with a broadleaf herbicide. So I guess the the lawns we're dealing with are are weak, and we need to do what we can to take care of them because one thing leads to another. And uh, I realize when we are in drought stages, you sometimes can't water at all, or you're limited significantly And when you can water because there are, believe it or not, things more important than our landscape uh, that are at stake when we're needing water. There's water for firefighting, there's water for drinking, and, and taking a bath, and all, flushing the toilet, and all those kinds of things. Uh, and so you just have to do what you can. But I would encourage you, uh, as you can, to give watering in a good soaking, not a sprinkle. But, you know, apply three-quarters of an inch. We'll go a little light there. Apply three-quarters of an inch of water and get a good soaking in there. And then don't water again for a while. You don't have to water, you don't really have to water twice a week. I don't on my lawn. Actually, I did I did water twice uh, one week recently, but that's neither here nor there. It. it our, our lawns are tough, and we're just trying to keep them alive and in decent health. So just something to think about uh, when it comes to the lawns. I was out uh, looking in my lawn uh, this week and saw some yellowing grass. And that's always a sign that something's going on, and usually it's a sign that iron is not getting into the grass. So go out, I'm assuming most people have a St. Augustine lawn, so I'll I'll use that as an example. Pick a St. Augustine grass blade, that looks yellow and hold it up to the light where the light is shining through it. You don't have to hold it up to the sun, just get some light shining through it. And you'll notice streaks of green and yellow. Now, it can go so bad that there's no green in it, but in the intermediate stage, there's streaks of green and yellow and that. Uh, Most commonly is gonna be iron deficiency. It's not the only thing that could do that, but uh, iron deficiency. So, does that mean you don't have iron in the soil? No. chances are you have enough iron in the soil. It's possible to have an iron deficiency, but in general, I bet you have enough iron in the soil. What's happening is the roots are getting killed back, and that could happen That can happen from a number of different things. Again, going back to some of the pre-emergent herbicides work in a way where they prevent weed seed roots from forming, and therefore when the grass tries to put a root down in the soil, it gets um, sort of... Uh, I was going to use the word frozen, that's not a good word, but it, it stops it from growing and it just has a little clubbed end and it never makes it into the soil. So when you don't have root tips, then you're not going to get iron because iron is taken up at the end of the root tip primarily in, in, a, in a plant. Uh, and so as long as you have growing roots and new roots forming and things, you're, you're getting access to a lot of iron in the soil and the plant looks good. Take all root rot, of course. Because it rots the roots, can do that, and drought can do that. And in my case, I let it get a little too dry in one area that's in the sun, and uh, it got a little dry. And now I'm seeing some yellow as the the plants are trying to recover from that. So I just need to be a little careful with that. I'd probably let mine go a little too far, but I really hold back on watering a lot. And so uh, that's just something you may notice it in your lawn. There's nothing you can do. I mean, you theoretically I guess could do a spray that has some iron in it, but uh, we don't generally recommend that kind of thing. Just get the grass growing again and it'll get the roots in and, and it'll take the iron up. Uh, and That that would probably be helpful. The problem isn't a lack of iron. Lack of iron is a symptom of a lack of roots in the case that I'm speaking of right now. Okay, we're, we're going to talk about trees just a little bit too. Uh, I, boy, I've, get, I've gotten a lot of calls on lawns and trees. Uh, trees are very resilient uh, you can look at a tree and it it just it goes through drought and it stays green i mean look at the live oaks everywhere you can see a live oak out in a field where the grass is all brown and the live oak still is green dark green looks good now that doesn't mean it's not suffering but it it's just it has the ability it's a resilient plant but when you take a, this resilient plant the tree and you stress it a lot you start it starts to weaken and other opportunists come in. And in the case of oak trees, and this disease also affects a few other species, but uh, primarily we see it here on oaks because we have a lot of oaks. Uh, it's called hypoxylon canker, and it, when it moves in, it causes the bark to slough off. Underneath the bark is kind of a dusty, olive-brown-looking material that then becomes a silvery uh, color, a gray silvery color, uh, and then it t- it often in some stages will turn even black. And that just flat kills the tree. And so you can say hypoxaline killed this tree, but what killed the tree was it got stressed. And the opportunist moved in, and that was just the, the nail, the final nail in the coffin. Uh, and so keeping our trees occasionally adequately watered with a good soaking, you're not going to Supply every bit of water that tree would want to use. They can hold back. Plants have ways of not using as much water uh, as they as they could. And uh, but you just want to water the area underneath the branch spread of the tree. Uh, you a, a tree a tree root can go two and a half times the height of the tree in all directions. Now of course there's different species and some go a little further than that. Some go a little bit less than that. But think about that tree in your front yard and walk outside and think, okay, two and a half times the height of that tree in all directions. Your neighbor and the neighbor next to them have roots from your tree in, the, in their yard, uh, because in a big tree, uh, because they can do that. So we can't water that whole root system. So what we do is we water the area under the branch spread. That's our little rescue area that we begin to water. And it helps to start a little early because the tree needs to develop more roots in that area to be able to take up. Uh, the water adequately to supply the whole tree. Because if you think about it, two and a half times in all directions, potentially, uh, that little underneath the, the drip line or the branch spread of the tree, that's just a small area of the whole tree's root system. But it's the area we provide moisture to try to keep it keep it healthy. And water all the way around the tree, not just on one side. Roots tend to um, supply the tree branches that are... A, above them, if you think. So if you walk out and stand on your in your yard out at the outer branch spread of a tree, and let's say you poured really salty water on the ground right there, uh, you and I've seen this before, I saw it at a, at a middle school one time, uh, they made homemade ice cream and they took all the salty water from making homemade ice cream and they dumped it on the ground by this tree, but further out from the tree, about 15, 20 feet out, and up in the tree, a branch turned brown from that. It's the only branch around the tree. But that, that high salt content was following the pathways, the tubes, if you will, up through the tree to supply a, um, a leaf. So in a sense, every root ends in a leaf in the top of the tree, and I guess vice versa. So uh, watering all the way around the tree is important. That's a little too much nerdy stuff but uh, i think it's interesting and it helps us maybe to care for our plants a little more uh based on on science and on what we do know about plants i was doing a a, a talk yesterday for our master gardener class uh and we were talking about finding research based information online and oh my gosh there is there are very few uh <laughs> fields of study that seem to have so much online bunk as gardening. I know if you're in the field of medicine, there's a lot of stuff out there that will cure everything from cancer to cradle cap on your babies. I mean, it, you know, these claims that people make are just ridiculous uh, and usually not based on truth. So how do you weed through that? And that's what our class was about. We were talking about uh, finding research-based information online, and you can. You can. It's out there. Uh, you just have to recognize that uh, Pinterest and Instagram and Facebook are not experts. And the information is only as good as a person on the other end that wants to be a know it all and may not know nothing, <laughs> as we used to say. Uh, just be skeptical and learn. And if you, let me give you a little tip. This is just a, a little snippet from what we did in the class. If when you search for something online, you will, after what you're searching for, put a space and then type site, S-I-T-E, with a colon and a period and then an E-D-U. When you put site colon, Google or the other search engines will read that as, I only want you to look in this kind of website, and a website that ends in .edu is an educational institution. So Texas A&M, AgriLife Extension Service, we all end in .edu. And so let's say you wanted to learn about fire ants, and you didn't want some uh, yahoo from the other end telling you, well, I put grits on my fire ants, and they, they ex- ate it and swelled up in their tummies, and they all exploded. That is actually a, a myth that people believe. Uh, so, but if you put fire ants, or fire ants space site colon dot edu everything that comes back in the search Will be from an extension institution, and you will see Texas AgriLife Extension, you'll see LSU's extension, Alabama's extension. You know, we, we kind of keep our fire ants here in the South. We don't let them go to Minnesota because it's too cold up there. But uh, you, you'll get answers from reputable institutions on what you're looking for. So that's a little quick tip on how to find things that are important uh, that uh, where you want to get a fact instead of just what somebody thinks about. By the way, let's go to that fire ant myth. By the way, our phone number is 979-845-5689. The the myth was that if if you put grits on the mound, fire ants eat it, and it swells up when it gets moisture in their stomach and they explode. Now, you could pick... This is how myths survive, because, yeah, if you put water on grits or rice or whatever, it does swell, right? It swells up. Fire ants do not eat dry chunks, chew them and swallow them. They... They liquefy a food, and, and that's what they eat. So it's not going to swell up in their stomach. It just can't do that. And you also have to remember that these are southern fire ants. So when you throw grits on the mound, they just come to the surface and say, hey, could you send a little bacon fat down here? Because we're, we're going to make a meal out of this thing. All right, enough of that. We're going go to go the, to the phones, 979-845-5689, and talk to Pauline. Hello, Pauline.
3: Hello. It's actually Colleen. Oh, okay. Um, I have. I would like to return to the topic of watering lawns. Mm -hmm. Um, I, my husband and I have a very old, very well-established Saint Augustine lawn, and I in the summertime I mow it high. It's like three and a half or four inches, and it's still mostly green. Um, You know, it's getting a little stressed in spots, but. I am in the habit of watering, I believe, as you do from listening to you, and that is to put uh, good soaking once a week. Mm -hmm. Um, That week when it was like 111, 110, I did do some extra watering. uh, Mm -hmm. But the discussion at the dinner table was this, is would it be better to increase the once-a-week watering, the volume of the once-a-week watering, or is it better to water twice a week when the temperatures are that extreme? And okay. as a side note to this, you know, I'm signed up for the Brazos Valley Water Smart email. Great. And whoever, well, whoever does that, he's saying water twice a week, which you know I disagree with. But um, I I don't quite understand why they're saying to water twice a week.
1: Okay. Well. Most people are just not going to water once a week. They're, they're not. And there are situations where you might want to water twice a week. And I'll, I'll make up one that actual, actually happens. But if you had a very sandy soil and a very sunny spot as opposed to being in the shade, because water use by turf in mm-hmm. the shade is much, much, much less uh, compared to in the sun. Um, if, if you had that situation, that soil, that sandy soil just can't hold water very well. And so the bank account for for the grass to draw on or draw from is is limited. And so twice a week would be helpful there. And I think that uh, when the twice a week is recommended, it's it's not that bad as long as you give it a decent amount of water to soak into the soil. Our our desire is to wet the soil about six inches deep when we water for the St. Augustine. That provides the roots can go below that for sure. But that provides a good bank account that the plant can draw from, and it minimizes the amount of waste because every time you water, you're losing it to evaporation uh, after the grass, uh, the water goes off and the grass begins to dry. And so, it's the most efficient way to water is to water not frequently. But if you were to put like two inches on and then try to go two weeks, that's not going to work. That, that number one, you're putting more water than you need to to cover the root zone, the primary root zone. And it doesn't make it last longer. It doesn't get wetter than wet. Okay.
3: How deep can Saint Augustine roots go? Because that,
1: yeah, that's a good question. Some plant
3: person told me four inches. This was many years ago. But, no, no, no,
1: no. Way, uh, way further than that. I had. I was at a yard one time down in Houston, and I can't remember how we ended up with this, but. We, we, the guy had dug up something and he kind of washed away the root and, and the St. Augustine root was like a foot long that he, that he dug up. Wow. And now okay. I, if we had any turf specialists listening, boy, please call in and, and let's clarify that because I have this one experience, but I do know that grassroots can go deeper, but the majority of them, if you take care of the top six inches of soil, you're going to be in good shape and you're going to be using water efficiently. And one thing, Colleen, that you can do is when you water, a lot of people don't know, well, have I wet the soil deeply or not? Because in a clay soil, you can't put an inch on. I mean, it'll run off. So you have to water a while, let it soak a while, and then Mm -hmm. water a while, let it soak a while, call cycle and soak. But if you want to know how deep you wet it, get a long screwdriver, a real big, long screwdriver, and push it in the soil. Mm -hmm. In wet soil, it'll push right down. When you hit dry soil, it's like you hit an underground sidewalk. It just stops. And you can know how deep you wet your soil with that screwdriver. That's especially good in loamy and especially in clay soils for for checking out the depth. In a sand, you probably can push it all the way down even if the soil is dry. Right.
3: Well, we have clay. I mean, awful clay. But um, actually, I think in weather like this, it's a blessing because uh, I... I think that's what helps the grass stay alive because there yeah. is some residual water down there. Right. So, okay, well, thank you. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that, those, are good,
1: those are good questions. And we just have to remember that when it comes to anything like science, uh, the more we simplify it, the more there's a whole lot of yeah buts where what we said isn't fully correct, right? Right. So saying water an inch a week is a general. If it were May, if it were October, you don't need an inch a week. Uh, they need probably a half inch a week. And uh, if it's shade versus sun, the inch a week, and your your sprinkler system doesn't separate the shade from the sun and how much water it applies. And the other thing is different people have uh, roots in different conditions. I was talking a while ago about I let my lawn get too dry, mm-hmm. and I, I lost some grass in an area. Well, I don't need to put an inch a week on if there's not a good thick stand of grass to to take it up. When I water, it's going to last a lot longer because there just aren't that many roots in the soil now because the plant died. So adjust that, adjust that a little bit, Uh, but your questions are are really good ones, and I know other people have those same questions. Okay, one last
3: question. Do you know of any website uh, that has, like, updated every week what the evapotranspiration rate is in Brazos County?
1: If you go to Texas ET, so it looks like the word T-E-X-A-S-E-T dot TAMU dot E-D-U. All okay. our A&M websites end in dot TAMU dot E-D-U. Uh, that is the Texas evapotranspiration network, and you have to find the local weather stations, and you can go back and look at a week. You can look at two weeks back. Uh, Unless they've changed that. The last time I looked, you could get to all that data. The reason we have Water My Yard kinds of of things, like the Water My Yard app, or here in uh, Brazos, uh, the county, we have our own for that as well. uh, For, you know, how much do I water? Water Smart, and uh, I can't think of the name of the Just well, well, A
3: local well, one is at Brazos Valley Water Smart. Yeah, Brazos Valley Water Smart. That's where the Thank emails you. come from. Thank
1: you very much. Uh, but anyway, the reason we have those is because people aren't going to go to the ET website and crunch and do add the turf factor and all the stuff that, that just is all done for you on the Water Smart website. And so when you right. it says tells you what to water. But yeah, you can get E.T. Well, just, re- I, just remember that E.T. isn't what your, what your grass uses. So if it says E.T. is an inch this past week, your grass uh-huh. has not used an inch of water. There's a factor there because for different plants, they have a certain factor that they plug into the formula to adjust that. I think it's 0.6 for turf. I may be wrong about that. But uh, yeah, so don't just assume that E.T. is how much you need to water. We're oh, making this we're making this way too complicated.
3: <laughs> no, it's just to me i I appreciate more particularized information and i I completely understand the water smart approach, which is you yeah. know you, you don't want people watering when they don't need to right, but the recommendations have been exactly the same all summer long, and <laughs> yeah. the weather has not been the same all summer long, or i mean i I guess. Kind of. It got hot in June. Yeah, it kind of did. So um, I, I just think yeah. it would be helpful sometimes to know a little more particularized information. Well, but know that anybody,
1: appreciate. any any water supply system or whatever that is providing you with what you need to water they're basing that on what the weather station says when you crunch sunlight uh, radiation intensity humidity wind speed temperature when you put all that in a in a formula uh, it's giving you the right one i remember years ago uh, there were fires in mexico and the smoke came up across Mm -hmm. texas and there was a lot of smoke and it literally Hampered sunlight coming through made it a little bit darker and we saw mm-hmm. a change in in our recommendations During that time when the smoke was overhead uh, So that was taking solar intensity down in the formula and it actually affected them amount of water not a whole lot But a little bit
3: Interesting All okay. Right. Well, thank thank you very much for the information. I appreciate
1: it. All right. Thank you for the, the call you. very much I appreciate that okay uh, we're going to go now to the phones and talk to Lynn. Hello, Lynn. Hello, Skip. Uh, What's up?
0: Is, well, I'm calling you about the Brothers Valley Beekeepers Bee School.
1: Ah, good. Let's hear You've about
0: come, it. You come and spoke about to us last year about it. But anyway, so it's, it's this Saturday, September 9th, at the First Baptist Church in Bryan, right up there behind Lowe's. There you go. Um, on-site registration starts at 7 o'clock in the morning. Uh, the program starts at 8 o'clock with our guest speaker, who is... Uh, a big-named uh, beekeeper in okay. Louisiana who's going to talk to us. Then we have, over the course of the re- rest of the day, uh, going until uh, 5.15, we have over 50 programs Wow! Um, at nine different rooms. So we have lots going on. And uh, it ranges all the way from beginning beekeepers to experienced beekeepers. There's law-related stuff for bees, marketing bees. Okay. The, the real nice thing about it is you don't have to have bees to come. Um, usually, last year, we had about 70 people came and returned their uh, surveys who didn't have bees. They were there to find out a bees. So if you want to know about bees, we have a whole strand that's called Beekeeping
2: 101
0: mm-hmm. or 100X, and it talks about what are, what are bees and what e- equipment do you need. So uh, everything's there. Uh, we'll have vendors. We've got, I think, about 45 vendors. Uh, selling everything from honey to beehives to uh, photographs, uh, bee co- tools.
1: I actually bought uh, a bee photograph last year.
0: Yeah, that man has really wonderful
1: photographs. I don't know how he does it. Be catching an insect in flight in completely sharp focus is... <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know how he does it. Pretty cool.
0: He does cool. a bunch of those. But yeah. anyway, so, yeah, it's this Saturday. If people want to know more information about it, it's uh, they go to our club website. It's bvbeeks.org. Um, and uh, you can click on the home and then it says about us and they're, uh, listing our program and events and it talks about it. Okay. Uh, on that site is a list of, there's a page that has all of our programs um, that you can uh, see what's being offered. Uh, pre-registration has closed, but they can register on the day, Okay. and, and there is a class schedule there, and a, then also a description of classes, All right. so if you see something. so. Um,
1: and at what time does it, you said uh, 7 a.m. is when they open the doors, and what time is the thing over? 5.15.
0: Uh, 5.15, okay, good. And we'll have, uh, if you attend, the, when you attend a session, we have um, electronic feedback and there's going to be some raffle items related to that electronic feedback okay Uh, we have a raffle for things the uh, the tickets cost eighty dollars for a single person 135 for couples Uh, children who come with kids who come with adults is fifteen dollars all the money for this that we raise for this goes to our youth program and so this year we have uh, 12 young beekeepers who are learning to be beekeepers they had their first meeting where they went out to the hives and got dressed up and got to play around with bees and see, hear them, and to do that. So, uh, we're but all the money from this, the proceeds from the bee school, goes to help those students. That's last good.
1: Year, last that's
0: year we had 24, and this year we have 12.
1: Yeah, and, that's uh, that's great. And uh, the, you, you guys not only teach them, but you help them get set up in beekeeping with that school, right? Yeah. right? That the, is the that is
0: program, cool. The youth program, the each youth is assigned a mentor, and the youth work with the mentor for the whole year, and then next spring they'll get a beehive, and then in May they'll get their first colony of bees, and the mentor goes out and visits with them and helps them. They've worked with the mentor during the year to know what they need to do, what to look for, and then the mentor helps them over the next the summer uh, to do that, and then we have a second year version of that. Um, where they have a second beehive, or you get a second beehive and they get to pull their own honey and things like that. So Wow.
1: It, sounds it, sounds uh, awesome.
0: Uh a well organized they have a field trip every month, um on a Saturday. Uh they do something that, like I say, this last one in August they went to a apiary, went to uh Cornerstone Bees. Okay. Uh, Got to open hives. That's Chris Barnes's uh, apiary. Got got to open hives and see how they worked and pull the frames.
1: Well, cool. Well, Len, I appreciate all that information. I'm just going to summarize it right now. If you want more information on the beekeepers here locally and events like the bee school, go to bvbeeks.org. And this is September 9th, this Saturday. You can show up, and it is at the First Baptist of Bryan, which if you're driving on Highway 6, it is right on the side of Highway 6 there. And, Brian, uh, what is that? Is that Briarcrest?
0: It's Cambridge.
1: Cambridge, 30, okay.
0: 3100 Cambridge Drive. Okay. Right, right behind Lowe's. Right
1: behind Lowe's. And uh, so just show up if you'd like to do that. Uh, That's you, right. you heard about the costs and things and everything involved, and you will learn a whole lot there. And I, I do appreciate uh, that call. Thank you.
0: Okay. Thanks, Skip.
1: And take care. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've actually gone to that a couple of years, uh, and I really, really enjoyed it. It It's pretty cool stuff. Bees are fascinating. We were talking about water a minute ago, and uh, Jennifer Nations from the College Station Water Department uh, wanted me to remind you guys that uh, we talked about this earlier, but there's something called a garden in a box. And it is a plant sale where you get a group of plants, maybe a group of pollinator plants. I don't know just exactly what the kits are off the top of my head. Actually, I could if I would click on the website and go look at it. Uh, But uh, you pick those up on September 23rd, but you need to order online, okay? You need to order online and then pick them up. So yes, one of the boxes is a pollinator garden, one is a shade garden. So you can choose between those two, and uh, you get the plants. It's kind of ready to go. Just you know, go for it. Uh, that is something you would need to order online. Uh, and I guess I believe that order is uh, rootedin.com slash shop. So in one word, .com shop, and you can get there. College Station is still in Stage 1 drought. Uh, The the schedule for that is on the website, uh, which is cstx.gov, and click click your way over to the water. Uh, There are other water uh, systems around Welburn and others that are, uh, you know, going through similar things, and so check with your water system before Deciding how much or when, whatever you're, how many days and whatnot you're going to water, because they will they will have a guide there that we need to all follow uh, in order to avoid uh, wasting water and and uh, hopefully it won't be for long that we have to do that because we're going to get some really good cool weather and rain. I just know I don't know when it's coming soon. I ordered it uh, and it it just hasn't arrived yet. I wish it was like amazon where it's second day delivery that would, be, that would be kind of good by the way that wasn't an amazon commercial <laughs> okay you are listening to garden line i'm your host skip garden success i'm your host skip richter our phone number is 979-845-5689 or you can email me at gardensuccess at edu. let's talk about some stuff going on around town the Rio Brazos Audubon Society uh, invites you to hear their program on Wednesday, September 13th at 6.30 p.m. at the Brazos Valley Museum of Natural History. That's out on Briarcrest Road. Uh, it's on the um, the uh, uh, east side of the bypass, not in toward town, but the other side. You just head out Briarcrest, and the Brazos Valley Museum of Natural History is right there on the right a little bit. A little bit distance dr sam fullendorf will be speaking on birds bison and fire the challenging future conversa- uh, conservation there will be refreshments there is no cost for this wednesday september 13th at six thirty p.m hopefully uh, a lot of you will find that very interesting and want to be part of that our brazos county master gardeners are having a rainwater harvesting program and the rainwater harvesting program is on Saturday, October 14th. Did I just do that right? Saturday, October 14th, from 9 a.m. to 11:30 a.m. And here is what's going to happen. First of all, there's a couple of talks, like an introduction to rainwater harvesting, uh, and hooking up your rain barrel and alternative rainwater harvesting techniques. So something for everybody. And, and uh, it will be uh, really cool. Jennifer Nations from College Station is going to have a little booth there. Uh, and she will also be answering uh, individual questions, showing you how to make a rain chain. Uh, and there'll be master gardeners around also uh, to help. You know, it's, it's no news that we're not getting rain right now. And you're thinking, well, why would I want a rainwater system? So you store rain for when you don't get rain. That's exactly what they're for. Do you know, now you can't do this with a rain barrel, you need something a little bigger, but do you know if you have a 2,000-square-foot house, 2,000, that's the footprint of your house. Every time it rains, you can capture about 1,200 gallons of water per inch of rain. That's a lot. Think about that. 1,200 gallons of water per inch of rain lands on the roof, of a, or is capturable from the roof of a 2,000-square-foot home. That's huge. And if we had tanks big enough, our annual rainfall is high enough to where we could way cut down on the need for using our drinking water to keep our plants alive. And the plants would be happier with that whole ordeal too. They would prefer to have rainwater as what they have. Uh, you have to register for this event so here's the website if you want to go to the rainwater harvesting event it is rain dot and i guess eventbright is dot com i don't know rain dot uh... and it costs thirty five dollars on the event rain website but you are going to get a rain barrel uh... the master gardeners have gotten barrels and put them together you will have one that you can take home and uh, hook it up wherever you got a downspout. Uh, If you want to paint it to make it look all pretty in whatever way interests you, you can also do that. But that is Saturday, October 14th, October 14th, 9 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. at the Brazos County Extension Office. We are at 4153 County Park Court Bryan. Or let me make it easy for you. Where you go to pay your taxes, we're the building right next door. The property tax... uh, uh, brass tax office we're right next door to that so uh, yeah I, I would encourage you to go online and sign up that's that's a pretty good deal I mean essentially I mean, you're, you're getting a lot of knowledge and information about all this and you get a rainbow for $35 dollars that's that is a good deal for sure uh, let's see on the emails Stephen asked about uh, planting some bulbs he bought a variety of different bulbs and it' It, when he went online to look, it said, in our area, you should plant bulbs in October. And he's wondering, well, could I just plant them now? And Stephen, I don't know if you planted them now that, you know, they're all going to die or something, but I know it. the soil is hot, the temperatures are hot, uh, the moisture is in short supply. It's better to wait till October because your bulbs, are, you don't want them to just like, Come up and try to grow right away. When you put them in the ground, they need some cool weather. And when we say bulbs, we're talking about a whole lot of different species that all behave a little bit differently. Uh, But I would wait until October to plant any bulbs. And when we say the word bulb, it's kind of a catch-all for several botanical forms. There's a there's a true bulb. uh, There is a corm. And there is a rhizome. Rhizomes are what irises do. Uh, Ginger grows underground by rhizomes. We have a number of things that do. Uh, And so bulbs, corms, and rhizomes do them in October. That's the best time of the year to do them. Now, if you want to buy them earlier, that's good because a lot of times supplies dwindle at local garden centers or if you're ordering from someplace online uh, it's better to go ahead and get them ahead of time store them in a very cool dry place until it's time to plant them this october don't wait until next year go ahead and get that that done Uh, also i think i mentioned this last year but i i I do want to mention it again the um, the plant id team uh, Texas AM plant identification team uh, wants you to know that they meet every Tuesday and Thursday at 6 p.m. on campus at the Horticulture Forestry Science building. The Horticulture Forestry Science, just Google a campus map and you can find it. Uh, It's on the west side of the railroad tracks. Uh, Horticulture Forest Science, room 124. And now they're a a competitive collegiate A&M undergraduate team, but their practices at these meetings are open to the public for anyone who wants to learn more about how to identify wild plants, particularly those important to rangelands and wildlife habitat. If you're interested, you can call Andy, who's the coach. Uh, Excuse me, not Andy, Austin. Austin's the coach for 254 477 3213. 254 477 3213. Again, that is on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 6 p.m. Horticulture Forestry Science. I would just call them ahead of time, make sure you know, something hadn't come up and, and the event hadn't going on on a particular day, but that, that's the plan. That's what, they're, that's what they're up to up there. Uh, Around town, and I've had a a number of of questions come in by email on this, Um, sometimes roses are just looking pale. They look stressed from the weather, and it's just like they've been depleted. Uh, Maybe you see brown tips and edges of the leaves, uh, the the normal beautiful deep green color that a rose has uh, is just it just turns towards chartreuse in terms of of the intensity it it loses its intensity uh, and what's causing that well drought can cause that uh, drought is certainly gonna you know the plant's gonna have to give up some leaves in order to save itself trying to survive during a drought because as long as you got leaves pumping out water that leads to death if the roots aren't getting water. So that that's part of what's going on. Sometimes we overwater too, and soggy wet conditions, you remember I mentioned earlier that lack of iron can cause iron chlorosis, a yellowing of the new growth, uh, or the stripes on yellowing in St. Augustine. Uh, well, soggy wet conditions and cool soils can also limit iron uptake. And some people are just going crazy with the water because it's so hot. Uh, and that is not good either. Uh, I would say that just give them some time, keep the soil adequately moist, but let's just wait. Cooler weather is coming, and they're going to bounce back. Uh, Trying to put fertilizers down and things right now, uh, you know, it's probably not going to help much at all, if any, and it could actually hurt when people really overdose it and stuff. That can be a problem, especially with salt-based fertilizers. So yeah, I've seen those. A lot of roses like that, and it it it's uh, it's pretty hard to look at. We're gonna get some weather though, where things get better. Also, I I uh, want to remind you, and I, I talked about this last week, I think that uh, when it gets blazing hot, plant biological processes can begin to shut down, like photosynthesis, that process. I think I was reading. I can't remember what the plant was, um, and it was once it gets up to about 107 degrees or something, that's is shutting down. I know with tomatoes, it's a much lower temperature that you're beginning to uh, lose some of those processes, and the plant needs those to stay alive, to make food, to stay alive. We talk about fertilizer as plant food, and okay, I get it, but. It, But it isn't plant food. Carbohydrates made by the leaves are plant food. Fertilizer goes to the factory, and the leaves take sunlight and make plant food out of the fertilizer. Okay? Just a little kind of a clarification there, but I think it's an important one because it reminds us that when the factory isn't running, food isn't getting made. I don't care what fertilizer you put down around the roots. So, think of a car factory. That's my analogy for this. Uh, You've got a car factory with an assembly line, and at one end you've got steel coming in, and steel parts, and, you know, rubber seals, and, you know, all the things it takes, paint, everything it takes to make a car, and out the other end comes the finished car. But if the door shuts and the factory line can't run, you're not going to get any cars, right? So the door shutting would be things like the stomates on the leaves, the openings on the bottom of the leaf, closing up, trying to hold water in because it's in a deficit of water and without the ability to go through photosynthesis and respiration, uh, you're not going to be able to to continue the, the food-making process. And so there are different things that, that can affect that. Sunlight is the energy that runs a car factory, okay? And so whenever you turn off the lights, uh, you essentially have unplugged the assembly line and, and everything stops. And uh, there's respiration at night, but I'm just saying over time, uh, it, it def- definitely needs sunlight. That's why plants that want to be in the sun don't do well when we put them in the shade. There are other plants that are made for the shade, uh, as I am, by the way. <laughs> I'd rather be in shade than sun. All right, our phone number. Let's see, we got five minutes left here. If anyone wants, wants to call, talk uh, 979-845-5689. we six eighty nine. We'll be happy to answer your, your gardening questions. Remember that the emails I answer when I'm in the studio on Thursday at noon. And so if you email me and don't hear anything until the next show, that that's what's going on. I'm just not able to sit and, and answer them all here. I have to get on to something else. Uh, one one comment about uh, the um, the tree issue out there, a lot of crepe myrtles are really struggling in this temperature. And I've seen crepe myrtles turn brown before and bounce back. They don't like it. It's not good for them. You may have dieback back of some branches. But just because they're brown doesn't mean they're dead. Uh, the best plant at turning brown and being fine is cypress, in, in my opinion, best tree uh, because it gets in August, and it gets hot and dry, and they just turn bronze and drop all their leaves, and you think it's gone. And then we get a little bit of rain, and the weather's mild, and here come sprouts right back out of those branches. Cypress is really good at knowing what to do when times get tough. You shut things down, and you wait, and that's exactly what it's doing. If you can give your trees that soaking we are talking about, in this case the crepe myrtles or maybe bushes that are in your landscape and beds, uh just an occasional rescue treatment. You know, woody ornamentals have great root systems under good conditions. And those great root systems can take up what they need. They don't, they're not your lawn grass with a shallow root system that's got to be watered pretty frequently uh, to keep it going. Uh, they're, they're much more resilient than that. But they still need us uh, to take care of them as, as we're doing that. Uh, let's see, I am uh, just going to go through, had a couple of other emails. Uh, someone, uh, John, sent in a picture of a boxwood and this, this is a row of boxwoods, you've probably seen boxwoods before, uh, and the bushes on the left and the right side look fine. The bush in the middle is starting to do that thing I was describing on the roses. It's, it's kind of shriveling a little bit up, it's losing some of its color, it's like the color is fading out of the leaves, uh, and that is telling me that something's wrong in the plumbing of that plant, uh, maybe it's nematodes all over the roots. Boxwoods get nematodes. That is unlikely in this picture because the plants on each side look perfectly okay. It would be unusual for just to have one little hot spot of nematodes, but possible that that's the case. Uh, It could be a root rot. There are a couple of root rots. I can't remember if it's verticillium or fusarium root rot that attacks boxwood, but that, that can be the case and definitely be the case. Uh, it could be that uh, there is some sort of a, a canker on a branch uh, that uh, in this case it would be the trunk because the whole plant's doing this. And it could be that there's a split in the trunk. When we have cold injury, oftentimes, uh, I know this is true with uh, uh and uh, it can also be true with boxwoods, you go look couple of months after this cold event and things are growing. But if you follow the branches down, you'll see splits in the bark and it's having to close over those. So imagine the the trunk of the plant being a bundle of straws that's taking water and nutrients up. So if you go in and kill a section of that, now you have a more limited water and nutrients. You're going to have to take a little different path and, the, and, and it, it affects the plant. And so uh, last December's cold weather, it would be unusual to not see anything until now, but it is possible that the plant hung on as long as it could, and then now we're seeing some problems. I know trees from the February freeze of 21, uh, We for two years, I've been noticing different things that I think were related uh, to, uh, you know, Predisposing the tree toward the problems because of that freeze. So, that that's what I think on the on the uh, boxwood, uh, John. Since we're here in the Brian College Station area, anytime you uh, have a plant of concern, let's say you had a driveway with a hundred foot driveway with boxwoods lining both sides. Well, if you get one plant dying in there, you kind of want to know is this a problem? Do I need to do something about it? Uh, and you can pull up a plant with roots before it is dead when it is still sick, but alive, and put it in a big trash bag and take it to the plant clinic on campus. It's on West Campus. But what you need to do is go online to plantclinic.tamu.edu. And this is for any kind of a plant that you are concerned about a disease potentially being the problem. And nematodes fall into the plant pathology world, so we will call that a disease. just for the sake of diagnostics. If you put it in there and it's moist and it's alive but sick, uh, you fill out a form that's on the website, plantclinic.tamu.edu. Take it in. There's a small charge for that, and there needs to be because that's a lot of expensive equipment. They can diagnose it, and if it's something like a root rot that maybe you can do something about, you can shut it down right away. So just be aware that service is there. It's not for everybody to bring every little leaf and stem they run across. Uh, Number one, that's A little too much, uh, you know, just for the clinic to handle all of that. Well, thanks for listening to Garden Success. We will be back next Thursday from 12 to 1. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley.